Well, hello, my name is Peter Harris. I'm a partner here with University Growth Fund. Thank you for joining us today for the University Growth Fund podcast. Uh, with me today, I've got one of our senior associates who's a student here at University Growth Fund, Peter Seppi. Do you wanna introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, my name is Peter Seppi. I go by Seppi to help with the Peter and Peter confusion. Uh, I started with the fund four years ago, uh, an undergraduate at Westminster College, and now I am at BYU Law School finishing up my last year. Awesome. And where are you going at graduation pr pretty soon here? I'll be moving to the Bay Area to be working at Gunnarsson Detmer, which is a law firm that specializes in venture capital fund formation and startup work. Awesome. So I'm really excited to have Peter Seppi on the show today with us because he was on the original deal, deal team that helped us evaluate uh, our investment in Simplest. So thanks for joining me. Um, and so today we're just going to kind of recap our investment in, in Simplest and talk about, you know, our investment thesis when we made the investment, some things that we've seen kind of go along over the years, things that we learned and how we're applying that in our fund for future investments, and also kind of wrap it up with, with how the acquisition came together. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Peter. Do you want to talk a little bit about uh, what it was like being on the deal team and, and you know, kind of walk through maybe some of the investment thesis aspects behind why we invested in Simplus? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so I had been with the fund for about three weeks when we started. I knew very little to nothing about venture capital, um, but thankfully I was working with some uh, great senior associates and Peter Harris and Tom Stringham to teach me everything I needed to know. At that point in time though, what we were really excited about was first and foremost, just the Salesforce ecosystem. Um, Salesforce now is doing over you know tens of billions of dollars in revenue a year, but at that time they were still growing really, really fast as a, a large enterprise SaaS company. Um, and we had done a lot of research around the Salesforce ecosystem, which are these players that had sprung up to help you know implement Salesforce solutions for companies that were using Salesforce. And Simplest, with the quote to cash service that it provides, you know, was solving an integral part of that ecosystem. So I, when we first started looking at it, we're like, well, I think Salesforce is going to continue to grow, the ecosystem is going to continue to grow, and a company like Simplest is going to be really necessary um, for that growth. Along that line, too, when we make investments, we like to think about how does a company exit over time? And one of the difficult things with a lot of venture-backed you know, companies is that a lot of them are in new spaces doing things that haven't been done before. And it's hard to figure out how does this company exit? Does it get bought by another company? Does it go public? And with Simplest, we actually had a pretty comparable consulting company called Cloud Sherpa uh, that had grown, been really successful, and actually been bought for over $400 million several years before we made the Simplest investment. So when we made the Simplest investment, we had modeled our, you know, what happens the best case scenario for Simplest off of that Cloud Sherpa deal. Yeah, that's great. You know, a lot of venture capitalists, I think, would have looked at Simplest and said, hey, look, this is a consulting business. The the assets of the business walk out the door every night. Uh, it's hard to get, make these things scalable. And yet, you know, we moved forward with an investment there, uh, which, you know, a little bit contrarian, I think. Uh, what, what are your thoughts? Well, if you had told me that one of the best investments we were going to make from UGF Fund 1 was going to be into a consulting company, I would have thought, really? Um, yeah. But I think it just it really speaks to solving a valid pain point for a really big market. 
And in this term, the earliest case, Simplest was doing that. There were a ton of companies that were using Salesforce but not using it well enough or not using it in the way they wanted to. And they really needed a solution to help them out with that. And software would have been a great product to produce for that. But in you know the complicated process that is Code to Cash, a software product just hadn't been created and probably won't be created for some time to deal with all the intricacies of you know building that Salesforce architecture, which Simplest does. And so in this case, it was really a situation where do you think that there's a really valid pain point? And do you think that this company is solving that pain point in a way that people want to pay for? And if those two you know, criteria are met, even though Simplest was a consulting company, it was able to scale like we would expect a software company to scale. Yeah, well, you know, and the, the challenge, right, is that in order to grow, the company just needed more bodies and seats to a certain extent, right? And, um, you know, as I think through a lot of the things that made me nervous about that deal, I mean, clearly the trends uh, were in its favor, right? Salesforce was growing fast. They, they were building this large ecosystem. More and more companies were not only using Salesforce, but needed a very customized solution to get the full value out of Salesforce, which is where Simplest really shined, both from their quote to cash uh, services as well as just their straight uh, Salesforce integration work. But yeah, I mean, I think there were a lot of things that made me nervous. Some of them were, can this company continue to find great talent and add them and, and build that talent so that they could hit kind of their revenue goals? I think the other thing that made me nervous is that in, in a real way, a lot of these transactions are, are one-time deals, right? So I go in, I help a company build out you know, their Salesforce integration, and then I'm done, right? And there might be some ongoing um, you know, consulting or support revenue that comes from it, but the bulk of the, cap, the, the work and the revenue is kind of a one-time thing. So those are some of the things that made me nervous. What, anything make you nervous from the deal? What you said definitely made me nervous, but some other things too is that the company is Utah-based, and although Utah has a growing venture capital and startup ecosystem, in my opinion, it's really hard to know is this team, is this company that's you know based here, are they really the best in the world or one of the best in the world at what they do? Yeah. Uh, and as a student, for me personally, I, you know, I just started looking at deals and I was part of a team that was tasked with trying to understand, is this management team you know world-class quality? Yeah. Uh, which is a hard thing for students when you, you know, you're doing basic classes and all of a sudden you're starting to evaluate leaders. But I know you had some interesting insights into the management team at Simplest and you got some comfort around that question. If you want to talk a little bit about what made you comfortable with the leadership team? Yeah, no, that's a good question. So I got to know Ryan Westwood, the CEO there, uh, primarily because uh, we were on the board. He was the, the chairman of UVEF, this local kind of entrepreneur and venture capital organization and that I was on with him. And just, you know, really impressed by his leadership abilities, his managerial abilities, but his nature is just like being a really good person, the kind of person that you, you'd want to surround yourself with. So when the opportunity arose to, you know, potentially invest in Simplest, you know, I thought it was super interesting and felt like, you know, this is, you know, a young entrepreneur that's very hungry. He's had some real successes in the past. He's able to like demonstrate that he can manage teams and lead people and sell people on that vision. And for me, that was actually a major merit of the deal to offset some of this risk around it being 
you know, not your traditional venture deal. And I just felt like, look, I think, you know, he's the type of young, ambitious entrepreneur that that can go out and figure it out. But I wasn't exactly, to be honest, like sure how he was going to pull it all off because, you know, these were some pretty big challenges like we talked about that he had to overcome. But, you know, over the years of being an investor in Simplest, one of the things that I think Ryan does that is world class uh, by far is that he doesn't settle for good enough, particularly in the types of people he surrounds himself with. And, you know, I I think a classic example of that uh, through the story of Simplest was uh, how he brought on Paul Fletcher, the CFO. So, you know, I, I talked to him about this when he was in the process and he was basically like, look, I went and I talked to all the investment bankers in our space that deal with companies like ours, buying, selling, taking in public, et cetera, and was like, all right, I want you to tell me who are all the the CFOs of these companies, particularly ones that have been able to take a company to a successful outcome, whether it was an IPO or an acquisition. So he got that list, he went through the list, narrowed it down to basically like the top three people in the world at being a CFO for a consulting or services-based business that had been able to take the company public or get acquired and so forth, and he went after him. Paul did not only come on board, but really to believe in the simplest story at a time when the company was way smaller than, than the company Paul had last been at. And, you know, to me that is such like a strong indicator of of a great entrepreneur, right? He doesn't settle for good enough, right? He could have found tons of CFOs that would have been plenty qualified to, you know, prepare financial statements and so forth for the company and provide, you know, varying levels of strategic advice. But he wanted somebody who had been there and done it and taken a company through the various phases that he was taking Simplus through and had learned all of the things that were necessary in order to achieve success as well as like avoid pitfalls. You see that again and again and again with the type of uh, people that he surrounded himself with, both at the management, the C-suite level, the VP level, the and, and at the board level, and, and even his advisor level. And it's something that's really stuck with me um, as I've evaluated entrepreneurs going forward is like, do they, you know, shoot for the stars and hustle hard in order to make it happen? Or are they good with kind of good enough, if that makes sense? And I just loved his very, you know, meticulous, well-planned out approach of saying, no, I want, I want the best and I'm going to try really hard to get the best. And then it becomes this great, like self-fulfilling prophecy of like, if you can get the best and guess what, like everybody else that's really good wants to be there too. And so it gets even easier to build a great team, which I think is another piece that really addresses that key risk, right? Your people in a services business are everything, right? And if you lose uh, people to other companies and, and other opportunities, right, you're going to have a really hard time building and scaling that business. And what Ryan has done is built this incredible culture that says like, look, we're on the winning team. We want you on our team. We're gonna build this into something great. And all of our people are great. And and so it just kind of feeds on itself and becomes this really nice virtuous cycle. And again, I think you see that from how he approaches people at the very top of the organization all the way down to the bottom. Yeah, I can speak to that too. I mean, uh, I have a close friend that came upon hard times in the last few years and found himself kind of working in a a pretty low labor job uh, and wasn't really sure what to do with his life, making barely ends meet for him and his family. 
had an opportunity to participate in one of the boot camps that Simplest puts on. Mm-hmm. Now he's employed at Simplest, you know, making like three to four times what he'd been making before, and he's loving his work, and he feels like kind of the sky's the limit. But I do think that speaks to the available talent, you know, the Salt Lake City, Utah ecosystem, just that there are a lot of bright people coming out of the schools here looking for opportunities. And I think that was one of the things that helped Simplest you know, scale so fast. Not only were they acquiring other companies and bringing them you know, into the Simplest uh, parent company, but they also had homegrown talent here in Utah that's very cheap compared to what you might be paying on the coast, mm-hmm. but are very capable as well. And I think that's how you help you see Simplest you know, go from a small consulting firm to over 500 employees in the span of you know, three to four years. Yeah a rocket ship yeah definitely and the program you're talking about i think is another area where you know they're very innovative in that you know being a salesforce consultant like a certified salesforce consultant is actually like you know a pretty good job from uh, you know salary benefits career trajectory perspective and you know there's only so much talent that's being trained on that right universities aren't teaching kids how to build that skill set helping them get certified etc and so Simplest built their own boot camp and program in order to facilitate that, to provide more individuals with this type of training and background and really kind of give them a leg up. And the way they did it, I thought was great too, is that they they brought them in and, and they were immediately kind of on salary and earning money. And then as they trained and taught them and helped them get certified, then then their their income could increase. But it just creates, you know, a tremendous amount of loyalty to the organization, which, you know, I think is, is super important. And again, in this industry, there's a bit of a challenge of like, can you get enough people, right, to do this type of work that are trained? And I uh, really thought this was a really kind of innovative solution to that problem. Mm-hmm. So one thing that surprised me with the deal, as we were looking back on our original investment thesis. Yeah. I did not see Simplest acquiring as many other consulting companies as it did. I know they had talked about it. Ryan was really optimistic about those scenarios happening. But at the time, it's hard to see when you see 15 similar consulting companies, which one really scales to the top. And I think that was one of the big drivers of of Simplest's success was able to take these other consulting firms, bring it into itself. And with the culture it had, these other acquired firms fit in perfectly. Mm-hmm. And then they even accelerated in growth in terms of what they were able to do, which I think is very hard for a lot of acquisitions to actually happen. I think a lot of times acquisitions don't work out well. Yep. But one thing that's interesting about how those acquisitions work is that there's a little bit of a, a multiple play there. And when Simplest is out buying companies, do you want to speak at all to how they were able to use those acquisitions to grow the value of the firm faster than they were doing before. Yeah, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up. So I think when we made the investment, we were kind of hoping that there'd be a little bit more of a software kind of play involved. You know, ultimately, certainly there was a little bit of that, but not nearly as much as we thought. And that what ultimately ended up being the strategy that worked was this idea of we're going to build ourselves into like the dominant, the best preferred vendor, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, they were able to achieve their platinum certification from Salesforce years before they thought they would, in large part, just because they were so focused on, on having a high level of excellence. And then using that brand to go out and basically acquire these other businesses that either weren't growing as fast or maybe weren't growing and able to buy them for a relatively affordable price, whether that was in terms of like straight dollars or equity, but then bring that team in, motivate them, 
get them working hard, like you said, and then get into a business where the multiple on that type of revenue or, or the premium you'd pay on a business that's actually growing was a lot higher. And so there's a little bit of this like multiple arbitrage game going on um, that was super fascinating, but that only could be pulled off at the end of the day if you know you had a really good culture that can motivate that talent to actually continue to grow uh, the business overall. So yeah, definitely kind of an interesting aspect of the deal that's fairly unique. I feel like multiple arbitrage is a very like private equity-esque type of thing to do, but clearly you know played out really nicely in, in this particular venture deal for us. Mm-hmm. And that was another surprise now that I think about it, just that when we had originally looked at the deal, we looked at other acquisitions in the consulting space to try and figure out at what point you know, in the future, if Simplest gets bought, what would it you know be bought for? Sure. And we had seen that worst performing consulting firms got bought maybe for 1.5 times their revenue. And we saw that some of the really you know, top performing consulting firms got bought for around you know 2.5 to 2.7x times their revenue. CloudShirp is a perfect example of that. As I was looking back on our original investment thesis and looking at what actually happened, Simplest was acquired for you know, anywhere between you know 3.2 to like the 3.7 times their their revenue. So quite a bit of multiple expansion from what we expected to happen. And at one point, that's also a testament to public equities. The public equities get in the stock market is you know, multiples have just increased over the last few years. But I also think it speaks to that level of accelerating growth that Simplest was able to have, even as they scaled past $50 million in revenue, that the other consulting firms just weren't able to be keeping up with, which is really interesting. I think you know being able to acquire those companies, bring them into the Simplest brand, and then have those teams working even better than they were on their own, I think really speaks to both Ryan's ability as a leader, but also just the, the organization that Simplest built. Yeah, that was a pleasant surprise for sure. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. What, do you, what did you think of uh, the acquisition from Infosys? Well, first, I was extremely excited just yeah. because we write these investment memos, they're 50 pages, 70 pages, and we, we talk about how we think the world might play out in you know, five to 10 years. And Infosys was a company that we thought would be a perfect acquisition, I guess, or acquirer of Simplis. And I mean, the deal worked out just along the lines that we thought might work out. And I think that helps kind of validate what we do here at UGF, trying to figure out you know, how do our companies exit. But I also think that the, the valuation in terms of where Simplis was bought was great. I thought the multiple was great with it as well. Ideally, you know, it's hard just because Simplest was growing so fast and is, you know, going to continue to grow so fast, but yeah. they were doing so well. You know, it's it's rare we every you know, quarter evaluate how our portfolio companies are performing. And they, you know, these portfolio companies, they set expectations and a lot of them meet expectations. Some of them don't meet expectations, but Simplest was, you know, exceeding where even they thought they were going to be. Yep. And, you know, on one hand, I would, you know, love for Simplest to continue to grow into a, a billion dollar consulting firm on its own. But I think the acquisition in terms of the price that they were able to garner as, you know, a premier Salesforce partner, you know, the questions about where are we at in the business cycle, a recession could be, you know, next year, it could be years away, but you never know. Sure. And these consulting firms, their valuations would uh, really drop in in a recession. So I think the, re- the acquisition makes sense. You know, as a venture capitalist, I would have loved for Simplest to, you know, keep going on its own. Sure. But at the same time, the way that this acquisition played out right along the lines of how we thought it would play out just a few years earlier, I was pretty happy with. Yeah. Well, it's such a unique opportunity for you, right? So it was like one of the first deals you ever worked on. And now, you know, 
due to circumstances, you've been here at University Growth Fund much longer than our typical student, right? About four years. And so now you're coming to graduation. You get to see that deal from, you know, full cycle from early stage investment to successful outcome on the back end. I, I, I totally agree with you. On the on the one hand, you know, it just felt like Simplest was doing a great job, really good growth, consistently kind of outperforming expectations. And so, you know, certainly there's a part of you that's like, man, just, you know, keep growing, keep growing. Let's build this into something big. But, you know, I think to your point, look, like Infosys, I think, realized that Salesforce is now a huge dominant platform and is going to continue to to be a major platform and they needed to have a play in the space that was really meaningful and Simpla, you know, acquiring Simplest really helped accelerate that for them. And so, you know, they're kind of in the market now to do that. And, and, you know, when an acquirer like Infosys in your market, like knocks on your door, you definitely sit up and pay attention. You know, I, I think to your other points, like, like it's really hard to know what the future is going to bring. I think, you know, recessionary environments, if you think through it logically, on the one hand, if you have very person-driven service, right, you know, maybe you see some cost advantages during a recession as, as the job market starts to tighten up maybe not tighten up but become people need jobs people need jobs right wages go down wages go down right but at the same time you have companies that maybe aren't growing as fast as they they needed or they were and maybe they don't need uh, quite the same level of of support right so it's a tough thing to look in that crystal ball and, and and be able to plan things out perfectly but you know at the end of the day i think from a manager of of University Growth Fund. I think we're super grateful to have been able to partner with Ryan and be supportive in small ways to his and his team's success. Ultimately, it was a great outcome, I think, for everybody. Uh, And, you know, we're really excited to see what kind of things Ryan does with the organization at this point, because he's basically taking over that entire division of the company. And I think there's a lot of exciting things happening for both you know, simplest as the organization under Infosys, as well as like Utah and the ecosystem here and, and everything else. So, you know, we're just really pumped to watch what happens in the future. As you're speaking about that, it just made me think. So when I started at UGF, I was 21 years old. Yeah. I had just found out what venture capital was. I was very excited about it, but knew very little. I worked on our team and learned a ton and I helped us lead that, you know, first investment into simplest. And it's weird I'm 24 years old, and I have the ability to say to my family when I go home, I worked on a deal that you know created millions of dollars of value for the University Growth Fund brand. It's just a weird, it's a weird place to be as a you know young 20-something year old, which I think speaks a lot to UGF and the situations that we get to be a part of, right? Like what 20-something year old gets to help lead you know deals where we invest hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars into into high-risk startups? It's pretty cool, but. That's not the only thing that we get to do besides just you know, leading investments and working on investment teams. We also get to do value-add projects for our portfolio companies. And I know that former UGF students had quite a role to play in you know, things going on at Simplest. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what some of our, our students have done with Simplest over the years? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. A large part of our value add that we pitch entrepreneurs is like, look, you're trying to get 100 things done. Your lead investor, they're going to be really helpful on those top 50, hopefully. Right. We're going to try to be really helpful on the bottom 50 of that list. And, you know, like we pitch it to a lot of entrepreneurs. And, and I think generally, like people like that that concept, right, that we'll roll up our sleeves and, and help. And we really we really mean it. 
And I think Ryan did a really good job of taking full advantage of it, which honestly I love, right? As an entrepreneur, like he should be scrappy, you know, a founder should be scrappy and, and using every available resource. And so, yeah, we did a bunch of projects where we basically put two of our interns into their offices and just cranked on things that they needed done, whether it was like evaluating markets or potential acquisition targets or helping them build out a sales pipeline, all kinds of, of interesting projects. And, you know, some that maybe weren't quite so interesting or glamorous, but that, that were really meaningful to the company and that uh, I think gave our students some really good insight into like key drivers behind a business that, you know, sometimes those things aren't very glamorous, uh, but they need to get done, right? So yeah, fun working with Ryan and his team on, on some of those value add projects. And frankly, like I wish that more of our po- portfolio companies took advantage of, of that offering where we, we could be more helpful. Right, and for the students, it's quite a life-changing experience for your resume. On one hand, you're a full-time student, you're going to classes Monday through Friday. On, yep. you know, then you're working part-time at a venture capital fund trying to analyze deals and markets. And then on the other end, you're working you know, at a portfolio company's office. I remember we had two students where I hadn't seen them for a few weeks and they came into the office for staff meeting. Where you guys been? We was that simplest, you know, just helping out. <laughs> just yep. what a cool experience for young students to have the opportunity to get, you know, their feet wet, both not in venture capital investing only, but also in you know the actual operations of company building. Definitely. So speaking around like experience and learnings, you know, as you look back through the simplest deal, what did you learn from it, and how does that change you as an investor when you evaluate companies going forward? I think the first thought is that you can't always follow the conventional wisdom of the crowd. If you told me that one of the most successful investments that I was going to make while working at UGF was into a consulting firm that was headquartered in Utah. Compared to all the other companies that we've invested in at first, I might think, really? But it's really turned out that way. And I think that's shown me that as long as a company is solving you know, a really valid pain point, and as long as they have a strategy about how they can really capitalize on that pain point, magic can happen. And I I think that's one of the biggest takeaways for me. When I'm looking at a company, I won't think right away, this doesn't fit the the venture capital mold. I mean, there's some companies, obviously, that you wouldn't want to give venture capital to. They just, they can't scale that way. But I think this is going to open my, you know, my eyes to other companies that at first glance, I think we pass on this. Instead, I'll go, how does this work at scale? How does this look like a big company? And how do they get there? How about for yourself, Peter? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny you say those things because I think a lot of the times it's, I mean, it's this balance, right? On the one hand, you want to be able to move through and make decisions quickly. On the other hand, you don't want to miss out on great opportunities. And so there's this tension of like, is this a venture deal? Is this something that fits our thesis? Yes, no. I'm going to I'm going to say no very quickly and move on to the next one, right? But I think if you do that too quickly, you might miss out on opportunities like Simplest where, you know, at first blush, you could say, well, oh, this is a consulting services business. This is clearly not a venture deal. I'm going to pass, right? And you would have missed out. You know, what I think was ultimately a really interesting opportunity. I also think the other thing that I've learned through the process is and, and it's something we've we've talked a lot about, so that should come of no come to no surprise, is that great entrepreneurs can make a huge difference in the success of a company. You still need a really strong market 
you need a well thought out strategy and, and, and or product, right? But, you know, great people can kind of figure that stuff out. And I think there's also a certain amount of ensuring that, that the person matches the opportunity and what needs to be done. And I think, you know, Ryan and his team kind of really exemplify that in terms of being the right types of people to run that type of business, if that makes sense, right? Like if, if Ryan was like a deep technologist and built like amazing tech products, like he could build like a great company, but he probably wouldn't have been successful running Simplest, right? And, and Simplest really needed somebody that understood people, understood culture, understood how to sell vision and inspire people kind of above and beyond, you know, a lot of other attributes. And, and so it, it, he ended up being kind of the right guy uh, to really build that, that company into a great success. Sweet. Well, um, any other thoughts you want to share? Nothing that comes to mind at the moment, but this has been a lot of fun and I hope we continue to do these podcasts. Yeah, no, this has been great. Uh, thank you for listening and, uh, yeah, watch for, for our next one. Thank you. Thanks guys. Thanks guys.